what Jesus really taught when he was on the earth. And you can see throughout the New Testament, he taught to the multitudes. Uh, he taught to the disciples. He taught individually. Last couple weeks, we've been looking at um, those he've been ta talking to individually. And this one's been kind of coming out. So I thought we'd just go ahead and tackle some of it today. Um, Jesus didn't really have meetings with Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes and, and, you know, the rulers, religious rulers of that day. What he did to them was mostly respond. Um, they were always in the multitudes. They were always on the outskirts, but they were always looking to have a gotcha moment. They were always looking for something where they could disqualify him, where they could turn the crowds because they were jealous, they were envious, and they were mad at the crowds that were following him. Why can't we get anybody to come to the synagogue? Why are they all going to follow Jesus? Everywhere he goes, he's got a multitude. And they really tried to prove him false. And they really tried to catch him all the time. But how many know he couldn't be caught? Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the truth. He knows that. And he, and he was able to answer them. And so um, you can see a lot of things from that. And there are so many things. And as I was studying this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I found it interesting in the Gospel of John. And I've been studying the word for a long time. Really in the Gospel of John, the writer, John, doesn't really uh, label the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes as much as in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. A lot of times when things are common, he just calls them the Jews. And it's interesting to me that the Holy Ghost there through the writer John decided to lump them all as Jews and, and there's some things in there. But I just want you to know uh, that as we look at this today, the heart I, I believe the Holy Ghost wants you and I to come away with is the, the difference that Jesus dealt with sinners. Remember, one of the things we looked at was the woman caught in adultery. And that one is in the Gospel of John. And what happened there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to get Jesus in a trap and they set up a woman who was caught or taken in adultery and they brought her and they brought her right before Jesus and said, the law, the law and you know the law, Jesus, it says what we got to do this woman, we got to stone her. And so then, you know, the, the account, remember Jesus wrote in the ground and I want to see and you want to see what he wrote. Um, he may have wrote you have been writing the, the names of their girlfriends or who they were messing with. I don't know what he was doing. But I also know that they were right illegally. But Jesus had this woman here. And I believe he was contemplating what the Holy Ghost would have him to say. So well, he's Jesus. He needs to say something. No, when he was on the earth, he walked as a man. He was the son of man anointed by the Holy Ghost. And so he said, I, I don't do anything that I haven't seen my father do. I don't say anything that I haven't heard my father say. So I think also he could have been waiting for the Holy Ghost to say something. And so then wisdom pops up. I mean, you know, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Because he needed to answer them. You and I, in our generation, we need to have an answer. No, listen, we got to have an answer. When they ask us questions about God, we got to know what the Word says about Him. Not only just an answer from the Word, our life needs to be a living epistle read of all men. We need to be the answer. 
And so Jesus answered and said, he who is without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. Remember from the oldest to the youngest, they all just began to walk away. Now remember, he didn't leave that woman because remember in other places, he talked about adultery. Adultery is one of the big ten. Adultery, uh, you know, between a husband and wife is something the Lord doesn't like there or it's a sin. But it's also something he doesn't like with you and I being adulterous to the world. Adultery is a big thing to him. He doesn't wink and nod at it. Right? But with her, he said, where are your accusers? Does any man condemn you? And she said, no man, Lord. And he said, what? Neither do I condemn you, but he did not stop there. Everybody said, go and sin no more. Which is supposed to be the title of my first book that I let somebody talk me out of. But it's going to be reprised, and I'm going to name it the thing the Lord told me to name it. But everybody said again, say, go and sin no more. Jesus didn't just leave you there. He doesn't just forgive you. He gives you uh, uh, what to do and the power to do it. Could this woman go and live a sin-free life? Yes, she could because from that point on, she had heard from God and she had the ability to walk on the word of go and sin no more. So the power and the ability was there to do it. But this was some of the things the Pharisees and Sadducees seemed to me were always trying to do. They were always trying to get Jesus in a pickle with no way out, with taxes. They were always with marriage. You know, so all these brothers and, 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 and they die one by one. And so who, who is this woman really married to in heaven? He's like, you have no clue what you're talking about. Because in heaven, you know, you know, that's not how it's going to be in heaven. And then he would pit the Sadducees. The, they're Sadducees because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So that should make them sad, you see. That's how I remember it. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees did. And he would plot them against one another. If he can get religion fighting amongst themselves. He just, in some ways, you got to understand the difference between how he ministered to the multitudes, the difference how he ministered individually, the difference of what he said to his disciples. But today, we're going to look at some things um, that he said and did to, in response to every, to when a Pharisee, he always answered them. There was only, they got to a place, though, that at the very end, they, they didn't ask him any more questions because they figured it out finally. We can't trap him. We can't, they, they just quit. But let's look at this. Let's look at Matthew 9. We're going to look at verses 11 through 13 in the Amplified Classic. And I've got uh, multiple scriptures, but just for time's sake, we're probably just going to look at one in the group. So when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your master eat with tax collectors and those who are preeminently sinful? So why does Jesus dine with sinful people was the question. And then in verse 12, it says, but when Jesus heard it. So in other words, they weren't talking to Jesus, but they were trying to raise some, some doubts with the disciples. They were trying to, dis, uh, they were trying to stir up dissension. That's what, that's, what the relig, that's what religion is good at. Questions and doubtings and, and wonderings all the time. Trying to find faults. you got to be very careful. You and I do not sit in the seat of the scornful. If you legitimately want to learn something, that's different than being critical and picking something apart. Critical thinking. you got to be careful about critical thinking. Because the Lord wants you to have believing. And, then you, so you, and if you really are a believer, you won't be critical. 
Everybody say, I don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And so it's one thing to want to learn something, but it's another thing to pick something apart. One of them is a good heart. One of them is a, a, a religious heart that has a spirit with it. When Jesus heard it, he replied, those who are strong and well, healthy, have no need of a physician, but those who are weak and sick. Verse 13, go and learn what this means. So he got, he got straight with them. He's like, I have come as a doctor for the healthy, and in this case, remember he's talking to self-righteous people. They believe their works, they believe their position has made them right with God, and they have even placed themselves above Jesus, so therefore they've placed themselves above the word. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, that is readiness to help those in trouble. So you and I need to pick this up. Our desire should be, we should be ready to help those who are in need. Now I need you to get with me because religion, and we all got to be careful in this room. We think, well, we don't have any religion in us. Everybody's got religion in them. Everybody has tradition in them, and we need to make sure we get rid of it. But this, what Jesus, he was dealing with a spirit of self-righteousness. He was dealing with a spirit of religion. He is dealing with works over faith. He is dealing with, I'm right, you're wrong. He was dealing with contention and contentious people. They were stiff-necked. Remember, this is the group of people he said, you're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but your insides, they're a mess. That's why God said, I look at the heart. He said, this is what I need from, this is what you need to know. You go learn what this means. I want, I desire mercy. That is readiness to help. Everybody say, I'm ready to help. Help who? Those are in trouble. And not sacrifice and sacrificial victims. For I came not to call and invite to repentance the righteous. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to self-righteous people. He's not talking about God's righteousness. He's not saying I don't care about the true righteous. He's he's talking to religious people. And he's like, you're self-righteous. You think it's righteous, but it's not. Those who are upright and right standing with God, but sinners, the erring ones. And listen, so how many of you know, he said that if we had 100 and one went away, he said to go after the one. Does that make the 99 not important? No, but you and I, our thought has to be, how can we help someone who is away from him? That's what Jesus came for. He said, I didn't come to heal the well. I'm a doctor, so to speak, and I've come for the sick. So the first thing that you, he he talked about this regularly was, I have come to fix the ailments of humanity. And anytime you see that, so what's important to the Lord? What's important? Self-righteousness? You think you got it all together? No, no, no. If you really had it all together, you would know that Jesus did that for you. You would know that God did that for you. But, but, but these people don't think that way. So everybody say, I have mercy. And so, so that's one of the things he talked about. The, this other one uh, I want to look at is um, he had a fuss with them about the Sabbath. The Sabbath. He, they were always dealing about the Sabbath. So let's look at this. Let's look at Mark chapter 2. We'll look at the Amplified Classic. And we'll start at verse 23, Mark chapter 2. Why is this important? Because you got to know what's important to the Lord. 
If you know what's important to the Lord, if you know how he handled, say, well, you know, religion, how does that apply to today? Oh, there's still plenty of religion going around today. There's a lot of self-righteous people. There's a lot of in the church today about, it's all about, we got, you know, it's about us. We got to get our rights. We got we to this, we got to that. You got to be very careful of that because when Jesus came, he was about the lost. He was about the undone. He was about the sick. He was about the sinner. Um, he thought about, that's why he came. And he came for us that way, Right? And once you and I get born again, we, we don't want to lose what is on the heart of God, what Jesus came for. He says on the Sabbath, he was going along besides the fields of standing grain. As they made their way, his disciples began to pick off the grain. They were hungry, and they began to eat. Well, the religious people saw him, verse 24. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is not permitted or lawful on the Sabbath? So it's not, you can't do anything on the Sabbath according to them, and you can't eat, you can't pick something. Uh, you can't go into the field and pick something. And then verse 25 says, and he said to them, Jesus answered back, he said, uh, have you ever read where David, what David did? He was in need and was hungry, and, and those who were with him accompanied him. He went into the house of God where Abthafar was the high priest, and he ate the sacred loaves uh, set before God, which is not permitted or lawful for any but the priest to eat. So King David, who you revere, he did it. And how also gave them to those who were with him. Not only did he, the king, eat it, he gave it to everybody with him. What you got to say about that? Verse 27. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made on account and for the sake of man. Not man for the Sabbath. Well, this is interesting even today. And there's just all kinds of things. But I want you to look at verse 27 again. Um, let's read the, well, let's read 28 and then we'll come back. The, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's saying, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What you going to think about that? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They're like, don't you be talking about our Sabbath. This day to them had become everything. Verse 27 says, Jesus just simply said it straight. He said, the Sabbath was made for man's sake, not man for the Sabbath. You have all turned this around. Religion has turned it around. Religion says a day is more important. Why are we talking about this? Religion and religious thinking make things that are, they, they make, they elevate things that God hasn't elevated. You need to be careful in the modern day we live in. Are you or a group of people elevating something that God hasn't elevated? And listen, United States of America. Listen, United States of America. We are not the only country on the earth. God cares about everybody. So what you're saying that is for this country has to be available for every country. And if it doesn't, say, well, it's got to be this way in order for the word to work in this country. Then that's the main, then it's got to be that way in every country. And you got to be careful what you think has to happen before God can move. He doesn't need everything right before he can move. Not naturally speaking. As a matter of fact, the, the thing that exploded the church in the early days, you and I don't like to talk about it, but when persecution came, that's when the church exploded. 
Listen to me. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And you can go back, and I don't, I'm not going to go back, but I, Exodus 23 and 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 14, we're not going to look at it. But it just clearly says that when God created everything, he rested on the seventh day. And, and he said this, Your, mankind, you should rest. You should take a rest. Now listen, I, I, I grew up, my mama, uh, she was, she's on, on Sunday, we, she made dinner before on Saturday night. She did nothing, she wouldn't go shopping. You couldn't go buy her anything. That's just what she believed. And that's fine. And there are still people like that today that count one day better than another. But really, if you take it into the New Testament, really every day is the same now. And, and you should, the Lord told Pastor Ron and I when we were first young in ministry, and there was just the two of us, and we were doing everything. Um, you know, uh, I remember before um, uh, Pastor Rhonda, uh, her mom Melba moved up here to be our secretary. Before that, Pastor Rhonda, uh, I don't know why she did this. She kept track of the hours we worked. And then divided it by our salary and would come up with what we were making an hour. I don't know why she did that. Because all it did was make me want to cry. Um, we were working 120 hours a week, so we were making less than a dollar an hour. And then we were tired. And we were young, and we loved God, and we were trying to grow a church and do things, and we didn't do everything right. But I'll never forget it. Um, when Melba came, so the first day Melba was here, we decided to leave the office for a couple hours, and we went to um, Green Mountain. Y'all know where Green Mountain is. It's the one with the bridge, and that's um, where, um, anyway, that's where, that's where Pastor Rhonda and I first kissed. Um, um, so we were over there. We're, I don't know if I was trying to recreate a moment, but I was too tired. Uh, but I do remember um, we went and got some Subway, and we bowed our head to pray, and we both started bawling, not crying, bawling. Because it seemed like, okay, finally we have some help. But, 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 and the Lord spoke to her after that, and he said, even in the time of harvest, I require you to have a Sabbath rest. Y'all, everybody in this room, I know we're all busy people, but you got to rest your body. It was designed to have a rest. you got to rest it sometime. But now, you pull that over... It's not a, a day anymore. You just got to figure out when you can rest your body. Everybody say, I'm going to take a Sabbath. In Hebrews chapter 4, there's a place called rest. And so really for us, Sabbath should be every day, all day, spiritually, because it's a place now. I don't have time to teach it. But in Hebrews, it talks about it in Hebrews 4, 4 through 11. Write that down and look at it. If you're still confused about a day and what you should do on a day and all that kind of stuff, um, it's, it's throughout there. We're not going to look at it. But, but listen to me. It's a place now. How do you get there? You get there by rest. Faith is a rest. And you and I need to be at Sabbath rest all the time. But they made this day more important than the people. How do I know that? So Jesus was irritated with them. Because what they've done is they've once again twisted the word. They've elevated a day over people. They've elevated a day over people's needs. 
So being the kind and gentle soul that he was, Jesus just threw it down. So he was up preaching one day, and there was a man with a shriveled hand. Y'all remember? And then he, before he was healed, the man was healed, he said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to heal? And they were all quiet, and they wouldn't say nothing, right? But let's look at Luke's, let's go ahead and look at Luke's account, 6 through 6, 11. Luke 6 through 6, no, let's look at Matthew's account, I'm sorry. Matthew 12, 10 through 16. I think that's where we were anyway. Matthew 12, 10 through 16. And behold, there was a man which has had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, they, that they might accuse him. What were they always trying to do? What does religion do? What, what are certain people? They're always looking to accuse. What does this have to do with me? It's more of an attitude. It's more of a spirit. You don't want to be, who's the accuser of the brethren? Who's the accuser of the brethren? So people always pointing fingers. People always irritated. People always agitated. What is that? That's of a wrong spirit. And you ought to be able to recognize it. Let us not be fooled about the spirit that is behind things. The devil doesn't come with horns and pitchforks. He comes veiled, partial truth. So this man had a withered hand and they said, is it lawful to heal? And uh, they asked him, is it lawful to heal that they might accuse him? Verse 11. And he said to them, uh, whenever they would ask him something, he would always, a lot of times, I love doing this. I have made a lot of people irritated in my life by doing it. But I figured if Jesus did it, I'm going to do it. So if they ask me a question, I ask them a question. I had this one man get so mad at me. He said, just answer me. And I, I said, so then I turned around and said, why can't you answer me? So I answered him back with another question. Because I had sensed the wrong spirit on him. What, what, he said unto them, what man would be among you that one of his sheep would fall into a pit on the Sabbath day and he, uh, he wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? If you had an animal, I know if you did and it got in a pit, you'd lift it out. Verse 12, religion is un, it's not consistent. How much then is this man better than a sheep? In other words, you've elevated today and you elevate animals. The people do that today. They elevate animals over people. You and I, we're not animals. We're creations of God. We're the apple of his eye. So much so, the angel says, what is that man that you made him? Wherefore, is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? Verse 13. They said unto the man, he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it forth, and he was restored. And he was totally restored. Holds the other. Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council on how they're going to get him. Why? Because he's messing up their program. So we have to understand, when the Lord dealt with religious people, they took the word of God, and not always even the word of God. I want to show you this. You and I, the attitude that Jesus had is the attitude we have to have. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's look at this one. Um, let's look at Matthew. We're in Matthew. Let's keep looking at Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Then came to Jesus the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, which were in Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition? Everybody say tradition. tradition. What is tradition? It's something man made. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. 
Hmm. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So again, he answers their question with a question. So this is the first church of the hand washing. And uh, y'all and I, we're all familiar with the hand washing now. How many of you know hand washing is good and hygiene is good? But they turned it into something ceremonial. One place, Jesus himself didn't do it. And they questioned him. Why didn't you wash your hands? Why, and, he, and so this is a tradition. What's a tradition? This is something we started. This is something we do follow the tradition. You and I got to make sure that there is no tradition. There's this family one time that um, every time they cooked a roast, everybody that cooked it squared it off. And every time in that family they would have for dinner, if they were having this particular style of meat, it was always squared off. And one time somebody began to ask, why do we always square off our roast? And they traced back, you know, two or three generations. And the reason was because the woman who first started doing it only had a square pan. (laughs) There was no reason. And yet it was a sacred thing for this family. We only serve square roast. But it only became because the woman had a square pan. Why do we do the things we do? It's all right to question them. Are they word or are they tradition? Why do you transgress the command? And what happened? What is Jesus saying? You put your tradition over the word. You've changed the word to meet your tradition. There's no tradition of making sure that your hands are washed all the time. There's no word that says you got to... How many, how many of you know, don't let your kids get a hold of this. I don't, the Bible says I don't have to take a bath. It doesn't say that. <laughs> Verse 4. Verse 4. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother. And he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. He's going after him. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, it's a gift by whatever thou mightest be profited by me. And so what, just for time's sake. So they say in part of their tithes, part of their offering, uh, they gave that for their mom and dad. So now they don't got to take care of their mom and dad. And he's like, y'all are messed up. You're all messed up. Keep going, verse 6. Is that, how far do I want to go? I've just been loving. Where are we at? Oh, okay. Keep going. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So in other words, you change the word so that when you tithe, you don't have to take care of your mom and daddy anymore. Verse 7. So you're not honoring your mother and father. He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy and you say it? Isaiah prophesied about y'all. What did he say? He's talking to these Pharisees and Sadducees. These people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 9. But in vain they worship me, teaching for the doctrines and commandments of men. So I usually pull that out and teach it and when I teach on praise life and stuff. Because what is God most interested in? People look on the outside stuff. That's what religion does. It looks on the outside stuff. But God always looks at the, can you tell what's in a man's heart? Sure you can by what comes out their mouth, by their actions. The Lord is telling you, you, as a, so our, what is our response? Listen, when we look at things um, in the body of Christ going on right now, are we participating in religious activities or do we have the heart of God? 
And the heart of God is to do what? To seek and save those that are lost. We are to have the heart of Jesus that it's not the well that need a physician, it's the sick. So our attention should be upon those that are lost and undone. Um, and it's not, now, the Sabbath, how, how, how does that relate to us? Listen, um, it is important what you and I do. It is important uh, that we gather together. But we need to even make sure that we do not become tradition and works-oriented to please God that we keep a right heart. I want to include this. Look at with me with, um, just for uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Talking about people replacing um, the word for traditions. It said, I want to look at that in the New Living Translation, please, just for time's sake. Colossians 2.8, New Living, and then get the, um, then get the message ready because it's really fun. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. And from, and what its reference is, is spiritual power. How many of you know the wisdom of this world is devilish? Right? So that's what it's talking about here. So you and I need to be careful as word people that we don't, we're not captured with empty philosophies. I don't care about anybody's philosophies. I don't care about what anybody thinks. Listen to me. I don't even care about when someone says that they heard from the Lord. I don't even care about somebody prophesying if it doesn't line up with the word of God and the character of God and the heart of God. Are you, are you understanding? And a lot of it is high-sounding nonsense. Just because it sounds right, don't make it right. Why? It came from human thinking and spiritual powers of this world. What is that? Demons. Rather than from Christ. Put this up in the message. This is fun. This is not a translation. But, and don't study out of the message. But every once in a while, it just gets it really good. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you all into endless uh, arguments and, and never amount to anything. So if everybody's argumenting and argumentative, you got to watch out for that. That's a wrong spirit. You don't have to argue. Uh, arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of the Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ. Turn up, go back. Come on, one more time. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ. Isn't that good? Titus 1.14 says something similar. Let's look at that. Titus 1.14, the Amplified Classic. Titus 1.14, Amplified Classic. What am I talking to you about today? How did Jesus deal with the religious? How are you and I to deal with religion? We should notice it. We should notice the characteristics of it. It may not come packaged in Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. It comes packaged different today. But it's there because it's of the devil. And may show their soundness by ceasing to give attention to Jewish myths and fables. Listen to me. There's a whole lot of things out there, and I'm just going to relate this to your life. 
When someone tells you this is the truth, you got to ask yourself, how do I know this is the truth? And I'm not just talking about the word of God. I'm talking about anything in your life. Were they there? Did they see it? Yeah, but it's a reliable source. Oh, yeah, a reliable source. People can make up anything they want to and say anything they want to. And just because it's on Facebook does not make it true. It's Facebook true. I don't even know what that means. Just because it's on a news station does not make it true. You've got to ask yourself, is this true? Where are the facts? Because it it comes to something that, listen to me, why am I saying that? Because the devil at the end of days is very deceptive. And it starts in the natural because that's where he works. And if he can get you to believe lies in the natural because you don't need any facts anymore, then the same thing is going to start happening to you in the realm of the spirit. And that, my friend, is how the very elect will be deceived in the last days. They will trade in the word of God for traditions and culture and call it God. Or call it a revelation from God. Again, there is no Bible 2.0. This is all we got because this is all we need. It's perfect. So don't give attention to Jewish myths and fables or to rules laid down by mere men who reject, reject and turn their backs on the truth. Listen to me. Anything and everything you do... Uh, and how many, I'll say it like this. I heard Brother Keith say this. He said, in order for something to be scripture, scriptural, you need a scripture. And preferably two or three. So anything you, why am I talking about this? Because this is how Jesus dealt with the religious. And if this is not a problem, it wouldn't be in the book. So it, it's there for us to realize, I got to watch out for that religious spirit. I got to watch how did Jesus handle the religion? Because it looked like they were the, if they weren't the church, but they were where the Jews gathered together, the synagogues. And, and even, you know, in the synagogues, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they agreed about some things, but they were divisive. Uh, they had all this going on. But, and, but when Jesus came, he said, I didn't come for you, you self-righteous. I came to heal the sick, not just physical. I, I, I'm a doctor and I've come to help them. And when individually he dealt with them, even though you've done something wrong that's been written down, I'm going to show you how to redeem yourself. I'm going to show you how to do better. Go and sin no more. Are you, are you with me? So you and I have to make sure that the word of God is first place. We don't let myths. We don't let tradition. We don't let what's going on in the world influence what we believe. We're going to stick with the word. Everybody say, I'm sticking with the word. Hallelujah. One of the last things I want to look at today, just real quick, is the greatest commandment. You know the greatest commandment. You all know that. Let's look at this. Let's look in, um, let's look, look in uh, Luke. Let's look at Luke. Verse 25. You all know the greatest commandment. Y'all, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then what's second? Okay, let's practice again. What's number one? Number two? Is that still good today? And when you do those two, you, fi- you, you fulfill all ten. Right? So the ten commandments have not been done away with. 
They've just been fulfilled in these two. Amen? So, verse 25, behold, a certain lawyer, I'll say, send in a lawyer, stood up and tempted him and said, Master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so, so he asked him a question, so he asked him back. So what is written and how do you, that's it right there. How do you see it? How do you read it? You, you know, fill me in, fill me in, little man. What, what do you think? You trying to get me with the rope? I'm going to give you a rope. All right? So that's what happened. Um, then he answered said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered right. This do and you'll live. But he willing to judge. Oh, he just couldn't leave it alone. He, could, he couldn't leave it alone. Verse 29. But he said willing to justify himself. And to Jesus, he said, well, who is your neighbor? So Jesus didn't answer uh, that one with a question. But how many of you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? Right? So what's the parable about? How many of you understand? He's talking to religious Jewish people. So he uses a Samaritan. You remember the woman at the well? She was a? Uh, remember the Syrophoenician woman? She was a? Uh, he really, Jesus really liked them Samaritans. The people that Jewish people thought were dogs. I think sometimes I wonder if Jesus didn't wish that he wasn't here for the, the children of Israel, that he could have just forgot about them and moved on. But he had to deal with them first, give them first chance. But so this guy's it's like, who's your neighbor? And so, so he talks about, so let's read it. Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed him, leaving him half dead. And there by chance, verse 31, came down a certain priest. So we have a priest, and what does the priest do? And so you can justify this anyway. Well, you know, the priest shouldn't touch unclean things. But this is a person. And you would get your sheep out of a ditch, but this is a person. It's just not the kind of person you want to mess with because he's a Samaritan. So he goes on the other side and goes his way. And then it said, uh, and then likewise, a Levite. So how many know what a priest is? What's a Levite? Well, a Levite would be someone that works in the synagogue. Maybe uh, they, they do natural things or they uh, recite things. Or, but, but that would be um, a higher-ups help person in the, in the, in the church. So this person is somebody, it's a Levite, and I don't know if he saw the priest walk by. Uh, we don't know that, but likewise, the Levite did what? He moved to the other side of the road, and he just walked on by. And then what happened? And a certain Samaritan, verse 36, he journeyed and came was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Everybody say compassion. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, poured in the oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to the inn, took care of him. Uh, when he departed, he gave the, the innkeeper some money. Um, and then Jesus said in verse 36, which now one of these streets thinketh thou was a neighbor. Who's the neighbor? Because in other words, he's just saying, you, you, you know what the truth says, but you won't do it. You've, you've, you've made your traditions and the way you look and all that's more important. 
We got to make sure, what, what, is the, what is the whole point I'm trying to get to you today? Let me sign, I, I know we've been here a minute, but let me, let me sum it up. Let's make sure what Jesus f- finds important, we find important. And what he finds important is people. No matter who they are, where they came from, who they're affiliated with or not affiliated with, no matter what they look like, no matter what their primary language is, he cares about people. That's who he came for. And so if you're supposed to love the Lord, because if you were to ask one of these Pharisees or Sadducees, do they do the first two commandments? They would have said, yes, sir. That's what we do. But in, in living, in proof, Jesus gave this parable. And the truth of the matter is he was saying to them, no, you don't. And so we got a Samaritan who is not in covenant, who doesn't know what you know, who, who, who's not in the synagogue, who is neither a Pharisee or a Sadducee, he doesn't, may didn't even know the, the, the written word, but he's compassionate like Jesus. And he not only helps this man, but he gives him his money and he saves this man. Jesus is saying, that's a neighbor. That's a neighbor. Listen, y'all, I know we live in an area where, you know, you know, I think we were number two to Birmingham of where in the United States of America, the percentage of people that go to church. But it's not 100%, so there's room. And people are moving in here from all over the world, and you work with people, and you shop with people, and you go to ball games with people, and you walk your dog with people, and you hang out with people that are not born again. You and I, our primary understanding is that, yes, we need this, Thank God for this. Thank God for you. Thank God for you showing up. But we're here so that we can go get them. We're here that we can, we can be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. We're here to pray for them. We're here to help them. That's got to be our primary goal. You and I are already in a kingdom. I already have a king. You and I are in a kingdom and I already have a king. And he wants his kingdom to expand. How do we expand the kingdom? By ministering to those who need help. By loving on those who need help. By making sure that we don't make this day more important than people. People are more important. People are the most important thing. And you run into people. Ask the Lord how to creatively help you minister them, help them, love on them, be a good Samaritan to them. I guarantee you there's people you work with that have a broken heart. Yes, when we gather together, he heals the physically ill uh, and he helps the heartbroken. But then when God does that for you, he wants you to turn around and go do that for somebody else. Amen? What's the whole point? Jesus despised religion. He despised critical people. Try, uh, he despised making a day more important than people. He despised the fact that they have lost their way. They lost their way. God delivered them up out of Egypt, and, and, and they should have kept on serving God, but they lost their way. And they took and started making man-made things more important than God-made things. And so you and I got to, what's the cure? Well, you and I got to keep Jesus number one. But if we get in our heart what's in his heart and do what he wants us to do, then we'll stick with him. We'll stay with him. Y'all with me? You understand what we're saying today? I I don't know about you, but I'm loving doing this. I mean, I've been in the ministry a long time. I haven't really, I've looked at all these things before, but I've never looked at them in this way. 
Um, and there's more. And there's more. And I'm not going to get to them all. We're going to hit the highlights. But I'm t- why is this particular one important? Because we're living in the last days. Deception is everywhere. Don't let anyone get you off mission. We're like the Samaritan. We've got compassion for people who are lost. And if they're not born again, that's who we should love on. That's who we should pray for. That's who we should help. Not just the homeless. We do that around here. But the corporate executive who makes... uh, you know, $500,000 a year and lives in a big house and drives a Jaguar on Monday, a Beamer on Tuesday, a Rolls on Wednesday. How many of you know they need Jesus? Well, I don't rub shoulders with those kind of people. You might be surprised where you're rubbing shoulders with people. And if you start doing this, he said he'd set you before kings. He'll start taking you places. You start doing some of this stuff. He needs somebody. I'm believing it here in Madison, uh, in Huntsville, that we have people that are involved in every type of industry, government, every region, every section of this place. We've got people from our church that are going into all of them. There's a big harvest coming. We want to be a part.